arriving at the slopes of Mount Diablo, just outside of San Francisco, otherwise known by the indigenous people as Tushtek. I parked the car, exited the vehicle, and took a moment just to breathe in the air, the energy, the sensations of the place. As I did, I became much more aware of a presence, a source of energy that could likely be tied to what was happening at the Hotel Majestic. I hiked my way out to a peak, sat down, closed my eyes to immerse in the meditative experience of the mountain itself. And as I did, eyes closed, sitting upon the ground, what do I hear? As I opened my eyes and slowly turned my gaze to the source of the sound, lo and behold, I was being visited by a rattlesnake. What awaits us when we wander into the ways, the wonders, and wilds of the weird, where magic is real, where within deep mystery our mind steals, and where the very fabric of reality begins to peel. From haunting ghosts to Freemason gridlines, from malevolent entities to geopathic ley lines, this intuitive investigation case dances on the very edges of belief and reality. Withhold all that you believe and think that you know, and open your mind to join me as we investigate and explore these wonderful wonderings and so much more in this The Quantum Wizardry Podcast. The nature of tonight's episode discusses and explores experiences concerning death, the supernatural, and topics that may be inappropriate for a younger and more sensitive audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back, one and all, to this, the fourth and final episode of this Case 1, Season 1 of the Quantum Wizardry Podcast. Glad to have you back. Uh, Much to close up in this, the final episode in terms of what was happening at the Hotel Majestic, what is still actually ongoing, and some of the potential sources of the container that was identified last time. Last time we're talking about the Freemason grid lines that were established in the city of San Francisco, the fires and the potential reasons that it may have been set. Now, as I had really looked at exploring what these grid lines were, where they were laid out, the bigger question came in in terms of not just the grid lines themselves. My feel of it was that these were really established to help to harness energy, to be able to utilize it. Laying it out on the map, it actually created an geometric shape, an actual isosceles triangle of which the center point was located at Grace Cathedral, 
Now again, right across the street is where the Freemason Lodge was located at. And so looking at that in terms of some of the connections of the first mayor of San Francisco, the fires that were seemingly uh, deliberately set in 1851, the fires again in 1906, there were a lot of things that were happening. Yet fire as a purifying agent tends to imply that there is something to cleanse. And so the question then came up, well, what exactly is that? So in looking at that a little bit more closely, I started to feel further into it. What could be ongoing? And if this was then a an actual grid that was established, usually that implies that there are geopathic or earth-based energies. So again, I then busted out a map and decided to expand my search. What does that look like and where could it come from? Now, if we're looking at that, generally speaking, in feng shui, for example, energies come in from the east. If you look at that in terms of the rising of the sun, here in Hawaii, you know, a lot of the winds come in from the northeast. There is a steady flow of energy that is born and originating from the eastern aspect and direction. So opening up the map, I looked at a larger map of not just San Francisco, the surrounding area as well. Took out my pendulum, asking myself once I centered my mind through breath, through intention, what was the source of the geopathic energies? Now, again, with a pendulum, we can do muscle testing effectively to discern using yes or no questions. And so as I took my pendulum surrounding the map, I started off in San Francisco City and started to do larger concentric circles, very much like a spiral, looking at where there could be some energetic sources. Now, when I tend to do this, I'll hold the map in front of my in front of me. I'll lay it out on a table as big as I can get it. I'll start off on a center center point and I'll do these larger concentric circles. And when I start to feel any sort of movement in a clockwise rotation, then I'll stop. Now, usually I have my eyes closed, and that was the case in this was eyes closed, opening larger concentric circles, and I felt the clockwise movement. Uh, shortly after I had started. And so as I opened my eyes, I could see just northeast of the city, there was a larger line. Now, these geopathic energies, very much like our nervous system, have larger branches, smaller branches. And the branches inevitably have these areas, which I would call a node. Now, a node is a point that there's more energy that's available. It's a larger branch of the energetic system that can potentially have more energy that comes out of it. And so I located a line and started to go a little bit further with it. Close my eyes again after marking it on the map, continuing on with those larger concentric circles till I hit this one point where the pendulum was going in a huge clockwise circle. This piqued my curiosity. So I opened my eyes and what do I see? but what is called Mount Diablo, a bit outside of San Francisco city itself. So I marked there, continued again, without any other further 
disruptions in the pendulum work. Disruption just meaning that it started to spin. It started to indicate something. So I opened my eyes again, looked at Mount Diablo as a source, potential node, looked at the line that I had identified, which flowed straight down into San Francisco, the city itself. Now having a sense of the potential source of this power, this energy that may be flowing through San Francisco, I took a moment to go further with my breathing, put my pendulum down, and really started to allow myself to drop into what I identify as trance state. Now going into this state, I'm able to bilocate or to transition and transfer my consciousness to another place. And so having an idea of where to translocate my awareness, I dropped into trance state and sort of like Google Maps, dropping that little guy in the middle of wherever you want to identify to have a better feel of the place itself. I dropped my consciousness into the area of Mount Diablo and was immediately met by a rush, a surge, a immersive energy, very much like jumping off of a rock into the ocean. I felt the energy just surround me and just the magnitude of which initially was a bit overwhelming. And so as I got more acclimated, again, like jumping into the ocean, sometimes it's a little cold. It takes a little while to adjust. The waves may be coming in, surges and swells of waves as it continues to slosh the body was effectively what I was experiencing. And so I took a little time just to allow myself to be carried in the current to feel it. And I could feel myself being almost drawn in this energy, pushed as it uh, almost felt like back towards San Francisco. And so as I took my awareness back out and plopped it back in to Mount Diablo, I went a little bit deeper, a little bit further, like diving down to the bottom of the ocean itself. I could feel the surge of energy that was emanating from this node, this geopathic source of energy. And so as I allowed myself to then come back up and out of that experience, I realized it was probably best to do a little field work, to actually go on location and to check out this place for myself. So that day, this is now, oh, day four, I believe, of the investigation, I decided to actually go and check out the source of this energy to connect a little bit more with it and to hopefully have a better feel of how this tied potentially to the energy that was being harnessed to a certain degree, the energy that was being harvested by the local grid in San Francisco City itself. Now, the thing about working with geopathic energy, with the consciousness of the land, is being able to correctly identify, to have a name that is more deeply rooted in the place itself. For example, here in Hawaii, we have many places that are identified as a name, usually something in English, 
Yet if we go back further to the indigenous people here, to the Kanaka Maoli, there are names that were given, that were gifted, that are much more connected to uh, describe the place itself and to be a better descriptor for the space and the energy of that place. And so before heading out to Mount Diablo, I felt it was probably good to have a better feel for what I should be identifying or rather calling the intelligence, the energy, the consciousness of that place. Now, as I started to go into this, and this gets to be a little, not tricky yet, uh, I, I like to have a clean slate going into a place without any real pre-existing knowledge. I like to save that more intellectual piece for afterwards. However, I do feel it's important to call a space by the original, as much as we can, name of the place. And so looking at Mount Diablo, which is a more recent name, the people who inhabited this area, the Ohlone people, um, had a name for this place. And so I looked it up. Tushtak is what it was called originally, which meant the dawn of creation. So already there is a correspondence, a correlation between my own subjective personal experience of this just, I mean, it was a powerful energy source, like jumping into an ocean of just like white golden energy. And so already there was a crossover between the sacredness of this place and how I experienced it as being just a vast source of energy. So packing up, I grabbed my wizarding tools, put on my wizarding vest, which holds all my tools, and went out to the area of Tushtek. On previous trips to San Francisco, it's largely been about the city itself. And so I really enjoyed this drive because it was getting out of the city, getting out into the surrounding foothills, getting to see an aspect of the area that I hadn't previously experienced. And so driving up and out, slowly climbing an elevation, getting further and further away from the city, I really began to appreciate the natural environment just outside of the city center. Now, driving up to the visitor's center, I could already tell that there was something going on. I could feel the energy uh, much less so, thankfully, because when I had gone in trance mode, it was a bit overwhelming at first. And as I started to drive, though, to the summit, I could feel it. I could feel that I had entered into something different, that there was a significant shift, a change in the feel of this place. And so as I got to the summit, I parked the car, grabbed my tools, and exited the vehicle. And now as I stood there, I took a moment, eyes closed, breathing in, Breathing in the air, breathing in the moment, breathing in the energy of this place. And so as I did, I asked by first addressing the place for the opportunity to connect. Here in Hawaii, I would do, if it were a new place, then a series of chants and a certain protocol and really introduce myself and ask permission first. And so not really aware of the traditions here, I did something similar in just taking a moment to identify 
who I was, my intention for being there, and permission to connect. Now, there is a sensation that I feel in my body, which can identify a yes or a no, which is very similar to pendulum work as well as muscle testing. And I felt an affirmation. I was granted permission to be there. And so I took my tools and asked to be guided to a place where I could best connect. And so I did. I walked, I hiked, and I eventually saw this peak, this rock structure, this protrusion sticking out of the ground. And so I felt that was a great place to go to connect, to meditate. And so I walked over there, carefully hiking and climbing at points to get to the top of this rock structure. As I got there, I found a clear area which really called to me and I sat. As I closed my eyes, I started to breathe slowly, breathe easily, breathe naturally started to feel myself as I dropped into a more relaxative and connected state. Just then, I heard a sound. I opened my eyes slowly and started to look to the side, and lo and behold, I was being visited by an emissary of sorts, a rattlesnake. <laughs> And so as I sat there, I was like, oh, this may be not the best place to meditate. However, feeling called to have been, uh, you know, guided there, I slowly yet steadily started to move back, keeping my eye on the snake itself. You know, I had threatened it by being there. And so I decided to create a little bit more ease. Now, at the time... I had only seen a couple of snakes in my life and so didn't quite know how to react. Thankfully, it was a little smaller, I guess, on the scale of snakes. <laughs> and so I backed away and found a spot. Now, more carefully looking around and taking in my surrounding environment to make sure there are no rocks or holes or ledges or especially snakes. And... Felt safe in that area, so I sat down, now probably about 15, 20 feet away from my, where I had originally uh, intended to connect. And I kind of laughed at that because my intention to connect was not specific. And so I sat and specifically asked to connect in a very particular way. Now, as I did, I finally, again, had my spot, closed my eyes, and allowed myself to settle to feel into the area, dropping into a deep meditative state. And dropping into this state is what I would call a hypnagogic state. This is a place of deep meditation, just before falling asleep. And so I'll tend to find an area, I'll cross my legs, I'll take a moment to usually just eyes open, breathe in, and this is a practice here in Hawaii that we would identify as kilo, effectively Hawaiian mindfulness. And I'll listen to the sound of the wind. I'll feel the sensation of the temperature, the breeze as it, you know, passes over my skin, the feel of the ground and the earth beneath me, the visual pieces as well. And after a while, though, I'll close my eyes just to immerse my senses in those other aspects. And as I did, I could feel almost the sensation of the intelligence of that place. I could hear the whispers in the wind. 
And I allowed myself to drop even deeper into this meditative state, eyes closed, allowing myself to sense more into the subtle yet ever-present frequency of the land itself. And as I did, I could feel again that energy, even more so, tenfold more so, because here I was now at the actual node itself. And I could feel the, not just the energy, the memory of this place. And as I did, I could feel into deep sadness, things that have happened to the peoples that had been there. Not really knowing what that meant, I asked for further guidance and could see almost this kind of like ink blotting out from a from a central place from the city itself as it started to span out and how these different dots on this energetic map that was being drawn for me really had affected the frequency of the place itself now in geopathic energies these are again just natural lines of energy coming from usually nodes that are entry points into the source of the energy itself held deep within the earth. Like access to an aquifer or a deeper reservoir of energy. And so one thing that can happen is large-scale events that can be traumatic to a certain degree can imprint and to a certain degree re-encrypt the frequency of the flows of energy that come from this node. Now, this node is just this node, right? It is a source. So energy will be pulled up very much like a well, and it will flow down in the natural way that it does. In this case, it seemed to be flowing straight into San Francisco. Now, between this area, between Tushtak, the Mount Diablo, this energetic node, and the city of San Francisco, specifically the Hotel Majestic, there had been a lot of things that had happened. Now, at the time, I didn't really know that. This would take a little research after this experience. However, I felt that I had connected in the way that I had really been able to ascertain, to get a better feel of what was happening here at this specific area. And so I brought myself back into body. I closed that connection, offering gratitude and thanks. I did a cleansing on my part and opened my eyes. Now, as I slowly stood up, because I had been there probably at this point for about 40 minutes, I stretched my body and felt uh, an impulse to continue to walk the area. And so I slowly and carefully, now having you know an idea that there are rattlesnakes around me, um, got off of the rocky protrusion. And when I'm in this states i'm still in a slightly altered state of consciousness and so things are brighter my senses are sharper and it is a, a state that as i walk around i feel i'm more able to pick up on subtle yet ever profound signs signals and synchronicities and so after i got off of the rock i felt like oh I'm, I'm going to go left. There's something for me there. And so I went left on the path. And seriously, within 20 feet. Oh, another snake. 
And now, having, you know, hiked, not like extensively, but a good amount in California on trips prior, I had never seen any sign of a snake. Yet here, in the matter of an hour and a half or so, I had found two. So I offered thanks to the snake and promptly turned around in the opposite direction because this one was much larger and was right smack dab in the middle of the path. So I turned around and walked the other direction, which would lead me back to the visitor center. And as I started to walk up to the visitor center, I was laughing to myself about the snakes and looked down and lo and behold, there is another snake. So... Anytime I encounter something in threes, I feel that it is significant. And so I acknowledged, thanked the snake, and felt like it was a good uh, time to turn back to my car and head on out of there. So I did. Hopping back into my car, I drove back to San Francisco, just allowing things to come into play, and sat with that. Snakes. Okay, so... I connected with the energy of the place, definitely, and seeing three snakes uh, was significant. I also, though, had seen birds as I sat there, uh, what I believe to be condors. And so there was a dynamic then that I felt was playing out that could be communicated with the energy and the messages of both those animals, the spirit, the essence, the communication, and the wisdom that they had to offer. At the time, knowing that snakes were often a sign of transformation, uh, also just the general relationship that snakes had in terms of being carriers of wisdom, condors flying high, you know, being able to see and perceive things differently, yet also being birds of prey, I felt that it was probably time to drop into some research. And so heading back into San Francisco, I decided to do a little research, popped out my laptop, and started to look at the very interesting, I would say tainted history of the area itself, how it related to the indigenous people who had thrived there for many years. And in the 1800s really were the victims of colonization looking at things from the presence of the missions and the missions system that was in the area with the Spanish, yet especially as things really started to turn with the gold rush in the 1840s, late 1840s, and how then an area that had uh, over 150,000 people overall of the indigenous people um, suffered genocide, disease, and how potentially this could be tied to the sadness that I had experienced on uh, the mountaintop itself, and how these events may be affecting the energy that flows into San Francisco and could be party to what's actually happening at the Hotel Majestic itself. And so as I started to go deeper in this, which I had no pre-existing knowledge, really, of the history of San Francisco. However, what had happened to the Ohlone people there, you know, the level of death that the local indigenous tribes had experienced, coupled with the flow from Tushtak 
otherwise known as the dawn of creation. And a little more on that, the indigenous people there saw this as a point where all life was created. Now, experiencing the energy that was just part of the natural well of the geopathic flows there, I could absolutely tell why. There was so much energy flowing from that place. And as it flowed very much like a waterfall down from a high point all the way out towards the ocean side and out through the land itself, it directly crossed over San Francisco. And so this flow of energy coupled with the events that had happened, the tragedy that was experienced there in terms of the colonization of the area via both the missionaries or the missions as well as the flood of people that came in for the gold rush itself really had an effect on the energy that was passing through San Francisco. Now, could this be part of the reason why the fires were created to purify the energies as we had seen in last episode? Could this be a part of what was being harnessed in terms of the creation of the grid itself and utilized for effectively being able to direct the energies of the city. Well, while those were bigger and well beyond the scope of my intention, as it turned up in my investigation, I did need to consider these as potential variables and influences that could be affecting the three ghosts stuck in the Hotel Majestic. Now, the thing about that was that there was a container, right, that had been created, which was the grid, there was an energy that was augmenting, that was creating a, an exponentiation of the natural energies of all three ghosts, one in particular. And so there's something that is amplifying it. So this could be directly tied to that if this was in the general line of the flow of that energy. And so this necessitated a little bit more deep diving then, not just going into the area as I had, to work with dowsing rods and pendulums, now I actually wanted to see what it looked like in terms of what I had laid out with the geopathic energy as a source, where the potential grid lines had existed, where the missions had been actually established, and where the settlements had been where the actual genocide had occurred. And as I did, I could see that as I superimpose map over map over map, that there was indeed a relationship here. That the area where the mission had been located was also where the fires of 1906 had occurred. And where the grid lines had potentially been established in the 1850s also was an area that kind of, at least by the looks of it, implied that there was a point where the fires had cleared and that it kept to a certain degree another area completely untouched, unscathed by that. Now, as I looked at all of these really superimposed over each other, this implied that the Hotel Majestic and where it had where it lays currently, just outside of the area where the fire had stopped and ceased, could still carry the energy, having not been quote-unquote purified by the fires itself, of what had happened to the Ohlone people, where the natural flows coming out from Tushtek were currently going, 
and could absolutely be tied to what was happening at the hotel itself. And so now having a little more information, I went back to the hotel and wanting to have a little more support in terms of the feel of it. I had invited a friend, one who had helped out initially, we'll call her A, to join me. Now, A is an incredibly powerful empath. She feels incredibly deeply and has ties to the area itself. And so coming in, I gave her a heads up in terms of a general sensation of what I had experienced. However, I didn't want to have some other feels beyond what I was experiencing myself. And so as we entered into the areas, lights still off, just walking around, she felt it. Just such vastness of energy, depth of emotion, and was able to, in her way, confirm a lot of the sensations that I had been experiencing myself. Now, for your everyday person, when you walk into one of these areas, our instincts respond. We can feel a little uncomfortable. We shift into that fight or flight sensation because our subconscious mind is able to detect that there is something that's happening beyond our senses, something that cues us up to be able to react when needed because we perceive a threat beyond our physical senses. As an intuitive or someone who is more connected to their intuition, we experience this in our own ways. Now, myself as an energetic, I could feel the sensations definitely. I could tap into generally the emotions and open up a line of communication. An empath experiences this differently. It's all about the emotion. Feelings of sadness, of remorse of anger those are much 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 more clear to an empath than they would be for me and so having this support with a who felt all of those and much much more was ultimately supportive because it was not just a matter of the entities that were there which they were definitely there there was an imprint that she was detecting and was something that was tied to not just the three ghosts, also the emotional imprint that was left in the land itself. So now having this information as well, pulling all the pieces together in terms of what had happened. The last night that I was there, I was back in Solo. Having all this information, I called forth the entity of the primary ghost, the one that had and held the most, not just power, but also capacity, strength, and control. And so as I called her forward, we'll call her E, I shared the energy of the experiences that I had had, both at Tushtak, the sense that I had of the atrocities that had happened there, the information of the container that was keeping her and the others stuck. 
Now, I started with her because she had the most power and as such, she had the most capacity to exercise control in this place, which meant that unless she was willing to transition, which is always my intention, to be able to transition an entity from a place so that they can move on and beyond. However, without her, she was the gatekeeper. Without her wanting to move on, the other two would be effectively stuck. And so as I presented all of this to her, the energy in the room spiked. It was like a vastness, a spiritual pressure that I could feel that was palpable. The hairs on my arms standing up, the pressure almost crushing. Yet, as I've mentioned before, it can be a matter of will. And so her will to scare me away versus my will to support in the freeing and liberation of these three entities came to a head. I sat there in the presence of that pressure and I met it with my own intentionality, my own focus, and my own commitment. And in doing so, eventually, effectively, canceled each other out. Now, generally speaking, you won't have an entity of this magnitude. The energy that she carried was amplified by the natural geopathic flows, was exponentiated by the grid that held things in place, and was ultimately um, amplified by all of these factors. So she was effectively a super ghost, which is, you know, borderline what we would identify as a poltergeist. However, she did not want to budge. She wanted to stay in the way that she was and to continue to dwell in the Hotel Majestic. Now, the thing about this is, is that there are ways, as we would identify, like through an exorcism, to forcefully remove something from somewhere. Now, the thing about that is, is that it, it can be a highly disruptive process. And the fact that there were so many people still at the hotel meant that this intelligence could access that energy, which was interesting because that also tied to the grid itself, to be able to access, to collect, and to effectively direct the energy of the people as well as the entities that dwelled within the perimeter or parameter of the grid lines themselves. However, E did not want to budge. She liked it where she was. And so at that point, after all the work, the investigation, the information, the intuiting, everything that had led to that moment had led to a choice. Now, was I capable of removing her? Yes. However, as mentioned, it's a highly disruptive process and ultimately was not my choice alone. So having all of the information then, I took it. I left. I packed up my things. This was my last day on the investigation. 
And I then the next day briefly spoke with the manager at the time, sharing what my feel for next best steps were. I shared the information in terms of the entities that were still there, my feel of why they were still present and why they were so strong. Additionally, next steps then would be a clearing and cleansing ritual and ceremony. However, would ideally be done with no one there. This would mean effectively that the hotel would have to close for a period of time, that I would come back and we would time it during different seasons, which would be a month away. The summer solstice is and was felt like the best time to be able to work with this in terms of an intention and would require a certain investment of time and effectively money by closing the hotel down itself. I informed the manager that I had read up the report and provide all of this information. However, wanted to give him a heads up that that was my feel for next best steps, to which he answered he would have to check with the owners themselves. Now, ultimately, a lot of this for most people is pretty woo. And so ultimately, the owners decided not to move forward with the cleansing which means that to this day now, three years later, those same entities are more likely than not still housed at the Hotel Majestic. They are still stuck and unable to leave and more likely than not have built up even more energy, allowing more presence and influence upon the physical world around them. What will happen in terms of these three ghosts from here on out? Well, that has yet to be seen. Yet for me, as an investigator, an intuitive investigator of this place, feel as if the only way that these will truly be able to transition is to be forcefully removed and transitioned from the actual physical location. This happens more often than you would imagine. In a lot of places where we have this type of spiritual activity can largely be related to entities that have just found themselves stuck. It is my belief, though, that the other two entities, that of Lady Lisa and the previous manager, are both wanting to transition, are ready to move on. Yet the only way that that can truly happen is if the gatekeeper herself is removed from the equation. Thank you very much for joining me on this episode today and continuing to walk with me on this path. For more information, follow me on YouTube as well as accessing the show notes on the webpage as well. Both are listed in these show notes. For now, love and aloha, take care, and hope.